Hello, and welcome to Decarbonize, the clean energy podcast from Fresh Energy. Fresh Energy is a Minnesota nonprofit working to speed our state's transition to a clean energy economy. My name is Joe Olson. I do communications here at Fresh Energy, and I'm here today to share with you a recording of the final webinar in our truly affordable four-part series. In this discussion, Fresh Energy's Justin Fay and Mayor Kim Norton of Rochester, Minnesota will focus on how cities can spur super efficient development. And with that, I will begin the recording. Welcome everyone, and thank you for joining us today for our fourth part of our program on Truly Affordable, the web seminar series uh, on how affordable, healthy housing can create such an incredible opportunity to demonstrate the best in housing technology and energy efficiency and zero carbon construction. I'm Michael Noble. I'm the executive director of Fresh Energy. We're a Minnesota-based nonprofit organization working to speed the transition to an equitable carbon neutral economy for our state and beyond. And uh, last week, we had a terrific speaker uh, in Gina Siganak, uh, helping discuss the issue of healthy, affordable housing from the perspective of a recovering nonprofit developer. And now uh, she works as an executive thinking about toxins in building materials and how building materials are connected to public health. Today, we are super, super privileged to have uh, Rochester Mayor Kim Norton as our guest. Uh, she's going to shed light on how cities can lead the way on building housing right the first time. Uh, cities are really care deeply about ensuring that high performance buildings are built. Uh, they're part of the building landscape for a long time. And I think it's very, very interesting now that uh, we're discussing zero energy buildings and carbon neutral buildings that the uh, campaign for President of the United States is calling for all new commercial buildings to be carbon neutral by 2030. It just shows how far and fast this conversation is moving. So we're delighted to have Mayor um, Kim Norton. Uh, Rochester, Minnesota is a great example of a city uh, whose leadership is showing how super efficient development uh, as part of the destination medical center uh, Kim was very active in um, supporting uh, state law that uh, when she was a state legislator that created the Destination Medical Center opportunity. And now she's backing uh, Fresh Energy and other cities in changing our laws now so that every city has the freedom to build buildings that are better than the minimum requirements of the state building, co the state building code. So before um, we uh, get started, I have to, uh, thank our sponsor, uh, Stoll Reeves. Uh, Stoll Reeves is the, um, the prime sponsor of this webinar series. They're a um, national law firm with offices in downtown Minneapolis, and they have a specialty practice uh, in energy and especially in renewable energy. And I also wanna just highlight all the other uh, partner organizations who've uh, promoted uh, this webinar series, uh, helped spread the word. Uh, and drive up the attendance of uh, all, all of you who are on this program today. Uh, and with that, I'm gonna turn the microphone over to my colleague and my friend, uh, the Director of Government Affairs at Fresh Energy, Justin Fay. 
So I'm going to be going dark and quiet and listening along with you. Thank you so much. Well, thank you, Michael. Uh, again, my name is Justin Fay, uh, and I'm uh, so excited to be here uh, today and so grateful to all of you for joining our webinar, uh, our final and our four-part truly affordable webinar series. Uh, today, where we'll be discussing um, the opportunities and challenges that cities face uh, as they work to play a leading role uh, in our built environment and uh, uh, the growth of better buildings in Minnesota. Um, before I introduce our, our guest, just one quick housekeeping item. Um, we are going to have questions, uh, time for questions. Uh, we'll hold time for that at the end uh, of today's presentation. Um, if you have a question for uh, Mayor Norton, uh, please use the Q&A button, um, which is uh, the button that says Q&A. Uh, it's at the bottom of your screen uh, for those of you who are following along in Zoom. Um, and we also have a few questions that folks had submitted in advance that we'll be, uh, we'll be drawing from. Um, that said, with no further ado, uh, I'd like to introduce uh, Mayor Kim Norton, uh, Mayor of Rochester, Minnesota. Uh, Kim was elected mayor uh, in 2018 um, after previously serving uh, for 10 years in the Minnesota House of Representatives. Uh, Kim is a 16, uh, 2016 recipient uh, of the Bush Fellowship, uh, which allowed her to complete a master's degree at the University of Minnesota's Humphrey School of Public Affairs, specifically focused on energy policy and leadership. Uh, maybe most importantly for, uh, for us, Kim is of course a, a treasured former board member here at Fresh Energy. We're grateful for the partnership that we've had with her over the years. Um, and with that, uh, please uh, join me in welcoming Mayor Kim Norton of Rochester. Well, hello everyone. Um, I'm going to give just a brief introduction about our city and about Destination Medical Center before we get going, just so you uh, have things in context, uh, which I think is important. Uh, the city of Rochester is the third largest city in the state of Minnesota, and our population is over 117,000. We think it'll be uh, around 120 at the census, and we're anticipated to grow by 50% over the next 20 years. Um, we, have, we cover 55 square miles and we're home to the state's largest employer, which is uh, Mayo Clinic, uh, which I should plug, uh, just got its uh, number one uh, in the nation rating yesterday. So we're excited about that. And IBM uh, historically was one of our largest employers as well, though their footprint has shrunk a little bit. And um, we are considered an all-American city, a gold LEADS certified city. And um, we are, a number of times, have been uh, noted as one of America's most livable cities. We have 3.3 million visitors a year, which I think for a town our size is um, exceptional, given that we don't have a lot of sightseeing uh, entities in our, in our community, Silver Lake and some other uh, smaller venues. But, but people come here, those 3.3 million people come for, um, I think sometimes it's, I think it's a little crass, but they call it medical tourism. Um, it's medical patients and their family uh, that come to Rochester for the great medical care that we have. Um, our, our city has an energy commission and, and an energy action plan, which um, that's what's including what you'll see here today. Um, we have a sustainability and resiliency committee, green teams, and two staff, one for DMC and one for um, the city of Rochester. And we also have an administration and city council passionate about sustainability too. So I think all those things come together to really help us move. 
Uh, Destination Medical Center uh, was a, you're looking at our city priorities and foundations here, but the Destination Medical Center was an economic development tool um, that the legislature passed uh, that partners city, county, state, and then private sector partnerships in order for our community to grow and develop. And it is that, um, that focus that's allowing us to redevelop our downtown area. So the DMC is one square mile in the, in the downtown region of our city. It has a couple opportunity zones in it for people who are interested in that sort of thing. Um, and then we have DMC development goals, such as creating a comprehensive strategic plan, leveraging public investment. Um, we're hoping for about $5 billion in private investments from that, um, hoping for 30,000 new jobs in our community, and generating about $8 billion in new tax revenue for the, the state. So, uh, so now we're going to move on to the next slide. There we go. Um, and talk a little bit about uh, the fundamental purpose of um, our incentive-based development is uh, to encourage the redevelopment of the city's older residential, commercial, and industrial areas in that one square mile radius that I talked about, to preserve and expand the city's economic and employment base, and uh, to provide affordable housing. Um, that was probably, um, interestingly enough, added later. It wasn't one of the initial main focuses of, of the Destination Medical Center initiative, but it became very clear if we're to have a vibrant downtown with um, everything we needed, housing had to be part of that. So um, we are creating energy efficient buildings and, bench and benchmarking programs then. We have 100 uh, benchmarked, voluntary benchmark pro uh, buildings in our community. Um, to help them utilize and be as efficient as they possibly can. Um, so, the so you're seeing a building here um, that we'll talk about. We are piloting new constructive incentives um, using the SB 2030 uh, guidelines. We're piloting and streamlining retro commissioning incentive for existing buildings. Um, this particular building is one of our, our newer buildings in downtown and you see um, the, there's a list of three of them that are showing um, our One Discovery Square. I have a picture of that in a moment. The Berkman, um, we'll share that, and Hyatt House. Um, so we are looking for lead, um, lead certified, uh, built, certifiable, I guess, buildings, um, or you can get your certification through Green Star Certified, uh, Silver, Gold, or Platinum, um, Green Communities, or the, uh, the B3 guidelines. So we allow these uh, sustainable building guidelines for the DMC funded projects to meet any of those four categories. Um, can we go to the next slide, please? So this slide shows our progress to date for our greenhouse gas emissions. Oh, this is the second one on sustainability. That's fine. This just shows um, some of the uh, key components for our incentive-based developments. Um, I think what I'll do is just give you a quick heads up on where the city of Rochester has been heading on our sustainability goals to put this in perspective. We have a 30% reduction for greenhouse gas goal by 2025, an 80% reduction by 2050. We have a 25% renewable energy by 2025 and 100% renewable energy by 2030. Um, and then we want to reduce our single vehicle occupancy by 28% by 2035. The DMC goals are even more specific we're trying to achieve uh, carbon neutrality through the DMC subdivision. And you're seeing um, in this particular guideline, some of the key components here. Uh, we're trying to implement the most progressive, responsive and resilient district energy network in the country. Uh, we have set high goals for that. And uh, we're trying to reduce DMC wide emissions per square foot by 80% and reduce energy consumption by 25% 
um, looking at the 2012 uh, uh, benchmark. So we have pretty aggressive goals that we're trying to reach um, with the development. The, the picture to the right was a kind of a visionary goal. You're not seeing that glass structure that isn't in our area. I always <laughs> feel like I need to point that out to people. Um, what someone envisions and then what actually happens is um, somewhat different. So let's go to the next one. And I do have the show what we've done so far, our progress. So greenhouse gas emissions per capita are on here. We've had a 16% greenhouse gas reduction since 2007 and a 22% reduction in energy emissions. Um, on the next slide, please. I think reaching these target, target goals that are outlined in our city's energy action plan um, is happening in three primary areas, power supply, infrastructure, uh, transportation buildings, and I want to say, I, I think I have to really explain this. In Rochester, we get our energy through Rochester Public Utilities. Uh, the RPU is in a contract that they have signed that is good through 2030. And so uh, we are in a contract where we cannot, as a community, uh, really impact um, the, that part of our, our um, sources. So we have had to really target and we continue to really target on the, the other uh, components there, which would be infrastructure, transportation and buildings. That's the only thing we can really um, impact at all. Um, so our progress uh, between now and 2030 is lying in our efforts in transportation sustainable buildings. I'm a little worried about what's happened with COVID and how that might affect some of that, but that has to be our target. In 2030, I should, uh, you can go to that next slide, that's fine. In 2030, I should mention that our city, uh, the Rochester Public Utility, um, has, a, which is a municipal power plant, has agreed to uh, get out of the SIPA contract and be 100% renewable. So we know in 2030, that portion um, is set to be 100%. So and between now and then, we have to just keep focusing on the development and the transportation so we can reach our final goals um, at the very end um, of that. And so where do our opportunities lie? Um, you know, I mentioned the greening the grid, that'll happen with 100% renewable uh, transportation and buildings. So we're focusing on energy conservation, reducing demand, energy efficiencies for new builds and retrofitting existing buildings, and then expanding alternative transportation. We're working on um, CA, some CAV and EV buses. Um, we've purchased them, they haven't been delivered yet, um, but pursuing other options um, such as electric vehicles and trying to um, move people toward uh, using public transit. Uh, and we're building out um, transit villages and, and trying to keep people out of downtown. That's, that's fine. The next, you can go to the next one. Uh, the next two slides are of newly completed or soon to be completed uh, projects in our Destination Medical Center area. This particular one on the screen right now is called One Discovery Square. Um, and it's energy saving features include um, in, uh, significant insulation, high efficiency windows. It's, uh, it was a LED certifiable. I don't know that it's applied yet. Uh, the tenants are required to use LED lighting and have, a minim and have minimum efficiency on their HVAC equipment. 20% uh, more energy efficient than, than it, it is 20% more efficient than the, what the building code requires. And we've seen a 40% reduction in water consumption in this new building. It's, um, it was, it's very exciting for us. Two Discovery Square is, is uh, to be built next. This is a life science building. The university has some space in it. A number of, a number of other businesses do. This, is, this one is not housing, um, but we know to have an affordable city um, and have an energy efficient city, it's going to be more than just housing. So this was one of our very first projects. The Atlantis, the next one's fine. 
and that is um, a, a housing uh, and other a retail on the early one. It's 31% more efficient than the state code requires and the carbon emissions are 3.6% less than the code. And um, you can see a little bit more information there on the screen about the Berkman. Um, we're very excited um, to have this building uh, opening very soon. Um, slide, the next slide would be great. So here's another um, opportunity that we've taken in Rochester. We are moving, we have a district energy already. We have uh, a number of different district energy um, I guess the county has one, the city has one, Mayo Clinic has one. Um, so there are seven different systems in city buildings uh, as well. And we're trying to see if we can't have a dist one district energy system. And it, we've been working on it for a number of years. Uh, we, we know we have um, an aging infrastructure right now. Um, our county is moving away from uh, the waste energy burner. They're going to have to replace that. So we're trying to get the county involved right now. I think they've taken a step back from that. We're hoping to bring them back in. Um, but one of the really exciting things about creating this district energy system, it will be a hot water loop system um, that they've devised. I think we're going to be bringing that to the city council very soon. Um, it'll, uh, it'll contain the increasing utility costs. It'll reduce greenhouse gases. It'll produce the facilities. But one of the nicest things is, is to allow the private sector to keep um, joining. Uh, and we can keep expanding the system that's in place. Um, so those are the slides, just kind of overview about uh, our city and where we're at. And I feel like I've talked a million miles an hour uh, to get that all in. Um, I do have, um, I'm happy to answer questions, but I do have some other slides to follow this that answer some of the questions I think that you have. So Justin, if you wanna maybe cue one of those up and we can we can go on to the, the question Great. is how do you want to handle that? Um, absolutely. Well, uh, as we uh, pivot into questions, I just want to uh, jump in here and say thank you again, uh, uh, Mayor, for taking the time to, to do this with us. And um, another thank you to everyone who's watching. Um, those of you who are interested, uh, there will be, uh, this recording will be put online uh, at fresh-energy.org. Um, you'll be able to uh, uh, go back and watch uh, this presentation as well as the Q&A section again. Um, the recordings of the th uh, previous three webinar, uh, truly affordable webinars uh, in the series are also available uh, on our website. Um, you'll also be able to listen to it via the Fresh Energy podcast, which is uh, called Decarbonize, the clean energy podcast. Um, you can learn more uh, about Fresh Energy's work at www.fresh-energy.org. Uh, where you can subscribe for our newsletter, check out for updates on our check out updates on our blog, uh, and make a donation today. Um, thank you again uh, for everyone who's uh, taken the time uh, to participate. Um, and I would be remiss uh, if I did not uh, take this last opportunity to make a plug for our next big event, which is our uh, annual benefit breakfast. Uh, it will be virtual this year. Uh, it's coming up on October 22nd, and we're very excited to have uh, Leah Stokes, uh, who's a national expert on energy, climate, and environmental politics join us uh, to discuss why clean energy must be at the center of our rebuilding economy. Uh, and I hope you'll be able to join us there. Uh, and with that, I think we can go ahead and pivot into our Q&A segment. Um, again, just as a reminder uh, for folks, the Q&A button at the bottom is the best way to submit questions uh, rather than the chat function. It's just a little bit easier uh, as we're facilitating the conversation. Um, so uh, 
Mayor, I think uh, a good a good jumping off point, and I saw there was uh, there was a question in the Q and A that um, that sort of got at this, uh, asked a similar question. Um, but uh, at Fresh Energy, we've been working really closely with uh, the city of Rochester uh, and a number of other cities from around the state um, to advance a policy at the state legislature that would allow cities the freedom to require that buildings be built better than the state code. Uh, it's called stretch code or step code. Um, Tell us a little bit about how having a policy like that would uh, impact the work that you're doing down in Rochester. Yeah, so in the slide that's on the screen, it, it does say that is one of our legislative priorities. It's been a pleasure to work with Fresh Energy and others um, at the Capitol to try to see if we can't get this um, over the finish line. We know and from our development that when you have incentives, people will build to those incentives. Um, through the Destination Medical Center and through, you know, the use of TIF when, when state money is involved, we've been able to incent people to build um, and give priority really to, to the developers who build to higher energy standards. That's one of the things that we're looking for. So it's been an incentive. And I think um, it would be great if the building codes could, you know, move faster at the state level and, and be better, but we know that, that 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 is unlikely, but we would like at the local level the opportunity to move faster than the state. Um, so we think it would be very helpful. My, my greatest hope, we've had wonderful, um, uh, Atlantis and, and uh, Mortensen have been wonderful developers that we've worked with on the two projects that I shared um, to build to those higher standards. And in fact, you know, they get creative. And the more, the more that that happens where it isn't just, we can use it for every development going on in town, not just those um, that are getting state dollars. Um, we'll have, we'll be able to move toward a, a more energy efficient community um, and a more affordable community faster. So um, we, we don't want to be restricted. We want to be able to go further. And I personally think that once more developers start seeing, using some of these better standards, um, it'll become more how they build all buildings and not just, I'm going to use this in order to get the contract. It'll just be, this is the, you know, this is the best thing to do. And we certainly know, and I've seen in your, um, some of your the other uh, speakers that you've had in the last couple of weeks um, that we want buildings that are efficient because the people that move in them um, even if the building costs a little bit more at the onset they're not paying those high utility bills and water bills for the next 30 or 40 or 50 or 60 years they're getting the savings um, off all those years and and particularly important for housing when people can move into a home and not have high energy bills because the, the housing unit is built so cheaply that the energy costs go through the roof. I think that's very, that's very well put. And I, you know, one of the things is, as I've been working on this issue that, that really surprised me, and I, you, you sort of touched on it when you mentioned the developers that you're working with in Rochester and how they, um, I think you, you use the phrase, get, got, have been getting creative. Um, and, you know, I think another way to uh, think about that is they're innovating. It's driving in a, a, you know, this is a, you know, higher expectations drive innovation. And, and they're innovating because we've raised the bar. We've said the more innovative you are, the more likely you're to get the contract, right? So they're doing it. That's exact, exactly. And, it, you know, one of the things that, that I just have re recently learned is uh, we're actually falling behind. Um, you know, we think about Minnesota as being this, uh, being a leader and um, always sort of being at the forefront of policies like this. And, you know, we have energy codes, you know, on the books right now that are less ambitious than Nebraska and Indiana and, um, you know, states that not to let my uh, Minnesota arrogance shine through too strongly, but states were not used to falling behind. And I think for a, a city like Rochester, that's such a growing hub that 
that's got to be a consideration too, is just um, being able to um, drive both livability uh, and quality of life, but also that, that business and economic innovation. Right. And we're at this wonderful place right now where we have a lot of development that will be going on for the next 15 years because of DMC and, you know, our, just our growth as a community and Mayo Clinic. Um, that's great. But even cities who don't have that can, can uh, be creative with uh, remodels uh, of, of current properties. And that has to happen too. It's not just new development that this will work on. So um, I do hope that we can get this step code or this approval, uh, even at the local jurisdiction, if they can't do it for everyone, to allow us to really uh, move the needle on all of our development, not just those getting incentive from TIF or uh, DMC. And I, you know, I think for for uh, city uh, city leaders or city staff that might be that might be watching this, and there's uh, at least one question in the already submitted in the Q and A along these lines. Um, what what can other cities do to uh, help advocate for uh, this change? Well, I think uh, get on board with fresh energy for one. <laughs> <laughs> How's that for a plug? Um, You're here. Yeah, but I, I do think talking to your legislators um, about these, it becomes such a, um, a politicized issue, energy does, and, and, and sustainability, and it really should not be. And we, we're fortunate in Rochester that our Republican senator and our Democratic Rep House of Representatives members that represent our community are all on board on energy efficiency. And so we're lucky in that way, so we can have those conversations. And I know our senator has worked with other senators trying to make this... Um, uh, a nonpartisan issue, and I think it should be because this is about, this isn't just about, it's not just about, I shouldn't say it that way, but it isn't just about sustainability and a cleaner, better world for our children and grandchildren, which motivates me, but it can also be about saving money and be, you know, being more efficient uh, as, a as a business or, or a developer. And so that should resonate with a more conservative perspective. So uh, we need you all on board uh, working with your local legislators and coming to the Capitol. Um. Sort of building on that, do you have um, other thoughts around uh, either kind of the impact of zoning and zoning changes and how um, those kind of like uh, local, you know, uh, yeah. separate from code specifically, but those kind of local jurisdiction bread and butter tools, um, wh what tools have you been using in Rochester considered using that um, other cities should think about exploring? Yeah, we, we've been, uh, because this is a great point, we have been um, looking at, re, you know, rezoning, looking at our development, um, how do we develop smartly so that, um, and we talk a lot about density, this has been kind of a, the pre-COVID push was for density in the downtown area because transit wouldn't be necessary and all that. Some of this is going to change and we may have to, we may have to reposition that. Uh, a little bit, um, but we need to make certain that we're we're building throughout our cities. We're not um, we're just developing in one part of town. Uh, uh, affordable housing that seems to have happened. I even look back on our history in our own community, and that that had been allowed to happen. We need to have affordable housing throughout our whole community. Um, we need to have standards that um, are good for everyone, and have incentives in place that um, that build the right kind of properties on transit lines you know, and, um, and around parks and, and looking at that equity lens at the same time. So um, there, we have a set of, of codes, you know, that we're using and, and zoning changes that we've made in our community. And if I talked about them, everybody uses different code names. So it doesn't make any, probably make any sense um, from city to city, but we have uh, and are in the process of redoing all of our zoning. And I think zoning is, is one of the things that you need to do to make these changes. 
Great. Well, there's um, there's a, a few questions that I see in the chat box and also one or two that were submitted ahead of time around the sort of broad subject of housing specifically. Mm -hmm. um, and, uh, you know, there's uh, a, a couple slides there if you can find something that's useful maybe yeah. or not. So, um, you know, one of the themes I see coming through in the in the questions, um, I see one submitted by uh, Matt Roan uh, and another uh, by Marissa Bayer. Um, that uh, I guess maybe to sort of mush those together a little bit, um, as as uh, Rochester uh, develops and focuses on building newer and better buildings, how do you uh, balance the need to have affordable housing um, and avoid you know both the you know gentrification and uh, the kind of influx of newer you know elite building stock, uh, maybe pricing folks out of the community. Yeah, and I think that was a real concern um, for two reasons in Rochester. One, some of the initial um, projects that came forward um, were were housing, and they were higher end housing. People were very concerned about that. But we also have opportunity zones in the area, which again. Um, their opportunity zones have their pluses, but one of the downsides is the, the possibility of gentrification, and we didn't want that to happen. Um, and I do think it, it, um, it's something we need to watch very actively, and, and of course your zoning uh, changes can help protect or exacerbate that problem. So um, here we have, uh, we have a couple, two or three slides here just on our affordable housing policy goals. Um, so we are trying to, um, as you can see, fee reduction incentives that we're putting in place, financial incentives. Um, we use TIF um, quite a bit in Rochester. Um, we do have some naturally occurring affordable housing, which I think is our, our second goal um, that we're working on quite actively and actually um, is, I think, a, a real focus. Uh, there's one thing that isn't on here that actually has been an issue, and, and uh, it may have come up in one of your other talks, I can't remember if it came up in that second one, um, is we are seeing a lot of our affordable housing stock being purchased by um, investors or uh, entrepreneurs who are using it for, um, for rental properties um, or for v VRBOs or Airbnbs. And it is causing um, it is causing problem with the stock of houses, affordable houses that we have for people in our community. So not only are we looking at protecting the stock that we have using, and we did just um, the county just purchased uh, an apartment complex, and and it and, and they use this whole NOAA concept. We already have it. Let's not let it per be purchased by someone else. So the county uh, bought into it and is keeping the rents low and keeping it affordable housing rather than having it bought up, fixed up, and, and the rent, rents go way up. Um, and so some of those other incentives that were, that were mentioned there, you know, when you have someone buying a, a piece of property, we've had two pieces of property that I can think of offhand in the last couple of years that sold that were old either apartments or boarding homes that get taken down and they're not replaced with anything. And I really think we need to be cognizant of that and make sure that we put policies in place that protect um, the people that are living there um, or guarantee them someplace in the new replacement properties um, that are being put up instead, but it's an issue. Definitely. And I, I imagine as you're, as you're wrestling with all of these things as a, at the local level that um, finding ways to get informed community engagement is probably a pretty significant challenge um, that uh, folks that are, uh, you know, potentially at risk or potentially need to have some of these kind of protective measures baked into policies are also 
um, frequently less empowered to you know, participate in public decision making. Um, how, have you, how have you sort of wrestled with that and um, worked to make sure that you, you're getting the, the sort of full breadth of perspectives from your community? Yeah, I would say that's been a continual challenge and one that a lot of us worry about. Um, and particularly right now, we have some changes that are going on, particularly in the area of transit, and we aren't able to have community engagement because of, of COVID. So we're doing these online you know, presentations, um, but of course, just the whole concept of an online presentation already eliminates uh, participation um, by a, a portion of the community, and sometimes it can be a portion of the community that you're actually affecting. So. Um, so this is a, a constant challenge. Um, I think it's something that we, we, you know, when you're sitting at the dais and people, you know, bring their projects forward and you ask, oh, have you had community engagement? Uh, it, it, I'm often disappointed at the answers. It's not that people aren't following the letter of the law. I can give an example that was a bad example where we had a very controversial development that was um, being discussed and they held it at a, a way across town at a, at a developer's offices. And they had a big room, but it meant people weren't in their neighborhood having that discussion, right? They were having to get rides, get in cars. Unfortunately, people were concerned enough about it that we had a good turnout on that, but not necessarily every neighbor who should have been able to walk across the street or go someplace in the neighborhood to share their thoughts. They had to make a concerted effort in the winter to drive clear across town um, to come to a meeting. And that sort of thing just shouldn't happen. So, um, so we do have uh, boards and commissions uh, that have citizen involvement. I will say as uh, a new mayor, I've been working very hard to diversify those boards and commissions, but I often find that even when we do, um, board and commission is a traditional, uh, they're run in a traditional way that many people aren't familiar with and don't understand, and they don't feel comfortable, they don't feel welcomed, they don't feel appreciated having their voice in the room because they're not following the process, right? So I think we have a long way to go. Um, we're cognizant of it, and it's just a matter of making the needed changes so that um, the people that are being affected really have a real voice that's being listened to at the table. Sure. So um, one, uh, one question that uh, sort of comes at this from a, a slightly different angle, and this, uh, this is one of the questions that we received uh, in advance. Um, and this question came from a, 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 an activist, a resident uh, who is part of a community group uh, in, uh, in Roseville. Um, and uh, what she says is that their uh, group is looking for ways to encourage and assist city leaders uh, with implementing policies uh, such as uh, ordinances and incentives. Um, how, how can members of the community uh, and citizens groups that uh, care about, um, you know, want to be supportive and want to be helpful, uh, best engage with uh, their uh, your peers, their elected counterparts, mayors and city council members. Um, and, and in short, what are, what are you looking for from uh, your, your uh, uh, supportive citizenry? Yeah, I mean, uh, there's just so much here. The people that have the lived experience in an area have to have to, sh have, to have a voice at the table. Um, and so speaking with your, your city council member and um, each city is slightly different. So we have six board members that have wards. And so it's contacting your ward you know, person and sitting down and having discussions with that ward person. They should be open to it. We have a, um, the mayor and the board president are also uh, at large. And so we can be invited you know, and should be invited to as many things as you want. So you can have those conversations because um, these kinds of development, uh, 
and, and changes that we're making to zoning and um, trying to create the affordable housing that people need. Um, I think sometimes too often we assume we know what it is. Uh, we assume we know the needs and we don't. And we haven't sat down with the community to find out. And so it's, it's both, it's leaders like your, your ward reps being willing to come to you, but it's also you setting up those, um, those meetings with them. And, and really sitting down and listening to each other. We, you know, we're not always gonna agree. And I think sometimes that's a frustration that activists find is they come and they, they bring their ideas forward. I've been there, I've done this. And then they don't do what you wanted. And the fact is that that is going to happen because you may, may have a really strong group of people, but, and you may have very strong feelings, but if you're, you know, if you're, well, there could be a couple scenarios, but if you're a very loud, active, passionate person, but you really represent only 15% of the community, they may decide to go with the larger percent, you know, a decision of that may benefit the larger percent, but that's where your voice when it comes to equity and, and you know, when we deal with issues like systemic racism and, and some of the, the unfairness, even a minority voice can make a difference when, when you tell your personal story. So, you know, when I work with groups, you have to tell your personal story um, and, and, you know, be respectful, but tell your story in a passionate way so that people understand that even though 85% of the people like that, a different thing, your life is affected in this particular way that they need to address too. So, you know, it, but you're not always gonna get your way and, and that's frustrating for, you know, I've been on that side of activism a lot, sadly. Um, but if you're persistent, that's what I always tell people, be persistent, that persistence pays off a lot. That's really, really well put and I think, um, very appropriate for a subject matter like this, where the you know things are changing so fast, and um, you know I I uh, I see there's a couple of questions that are uh, in the comments, and I think this will be um, this will probably be our last question because we're a little bit over time for folks, uh, and we appreciate you staying a little bit late, Mayor. Um, but there's uh, two questions that I want to sort of uh, I think um, piggyback a little bit on what we were just what you were just saying. Um, uh, the first is uh, talking about um, um, passive house standards and more kind of uh, aggressive, uh, you know, forward-thinking building design. Uh, and then there's a second question, um, and that was from uh, Tim Ian. I'm sorry if I'm pronouncing your name wrong. And then a question from Rick Morris about, um, you know, what happens down the road if gas becomes prohibitively expensive and what are alternatives to gas? Um, it, it seems to me that we're talking about really foundational concepts here that, um, the way that we've heated and cooled our homes for, for, for decades, um, you know, if we're going to get where we need to go uh, from a you know, greenhouse gas reduction perspective, really needs to dramatically change. Um, how do you think about um, you know, putting together a narrative and having that community dialogue when we're not, you know, the subject and the scope is so much, is bigger than an ordinance change. We're literally talking about, we're going to change your house and how you live in it. Um, that's gotta be really, uh, that's a daunting, scary conversation for a lot of people, but it's necessary. And um, how, do you, how do you think about that, um, that kind of narrative as, in your role as, as mayor? Well, I'm pretty progressive when it comes to, to energy and, and sustainability. So um, it, I guess the one thing I would say is while some of us want everything to change yesterday, um, we know that it really is about um, incremental steps and it's really hard to wait for those. But 
Um, you know, Minnesota, historically, as a state, when I was in the legislature, we took very big steps. We were, we were on the leading edge of some of those changes. And we can make those changes at the state level, but a lot of these are really um, life changes about pe how people live. Um, and, and change is hard, frankly, for a lot of people. Um, but it doesn't mean we don't keep moving in the right direction because gas is going to become more expensive. Fuels are damaging to the environment and a uh, you know, finite resource. Uh, and will grow more expensive over time, you know, despite what's happening right now. We have fluctuations, of course. Um, but I think all of us trying to keep the mindset of the world we want for our children and our grandchildren is really key to getting uh, the outcomes that we want. And, and it does mean, for instance, um, we talk about this here, it's, it's not just gas and you know, energy electrifying, which a lot of us are doing and putting solar panels up and some of us can afford to do it and some can't. I bought into a solar garden because it didn't make sense for my house. You know, it's those incremental steps. Not everybody wants to do those, but there are small things that everybody can do like the LED bulbs, like I hate to say it, composting, simple composting. Um, it used to be a scary thing and it meant you had a big stinky backyard and everybody was afraid of it. My neighbor screamed bloody murder when I put my little composting bin back there. But those small changes can make a difference in the amount of refuse you have, right? And it doesn't stink and it's, you know, so you, you have to get over some of um, people's issues. But, but it is about small persistent change. The big, the big changes are great. Um, and, and that's where individual advocacies and individual, I, I've been working on, this is probably silly, you might think, but I've been, I tried doing a, a, an idea a day for people. Um, and as mayor, I would put out an idea a day. Unfortunately, in the middle of COVID, it finally became very clear I was talking to the wind because people were <laughs> so concerned with their, their, you know, their life and safety that it became irrelevant. And I, I did have to quit, but I did it for like 180 days of ideas, but it, it is, we're not gonna do all 180, right? I don't do all 180. But of those 180, I probably do 50 or 60 of them. And so everybody needs to find their 50 or 60 things that they can do to help move us toward a more green, more you know, uh, emission-free, better society. And so I, mean, I don't have any, I wish I had easy answers for everyone, I don't. Uh, but I do know that those of us that care, the people on this call, if we work together, we can make a difference. Well, I think that's a wonderful note to end on. Um, I want to just, uh, uh, we're, we're about 11 minutes over our time. So uh, I want to just uh, thank you again, Mayor, for uh, your time and, and candor and our conversation today. Um, I did see another question in the Q&A about where the slides would be available. Um, again, they will be on the Fresh Energy website. Um, that's www.fresh-energy.org. Um, and uh, they'll be up there along with the slides uh, and recording of this conversation and the previous three uh, uh, truly affordable webinars uh, in, in the series. Um, so with that, uh, I want to just uh, thank everyone uh, for bearing with us and taking uh, a little bit of time out of your afternoon today for this uh, important conversation and uh, wish you all a, a pleasant uh, rest of your week. Thank you. Thank you for tuning in to the audio recording of our webinar. You can stay up to date on Fresh Energy's work via our blog at fresh-energy.org or follow us on social media. In the meantime, thank you to everyone listening for subscribing to our podcast. You can support Fresh Energy's work by making a donation today. Visit our website at fresh-energy.org and click donate in the upper right corner. Thank you for listening.